and welcome to the CDO Magazine interview series. I'm Chris Nur, Chief Digital Officer of Synity, a world leader in enterprise data software, and we're partnering with CDO Magazine, MIT CDO IQ, and the International Society of Chief Data Officers to bring you this series of interviews with thought leaders in data and analytics. Today, it's my great pleasure to welcome uh, to the interview series, Ray Diot, CDO of NetApp. Welcome, Ray. Terrific to meet you. Thanks, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here. So, um, Ray, I'd like to dive right in and, and get your take on streaming and, and IoT. Um, so, so obviously, NetApp is a platform company, and, and your products are core to the whole concept of data fabric. And, and for your clients, you enable a huge volume of streaming data. So, you know, from for the audience, the the IoT and streaming narrative is you know is very hot. Um, should what's your perspective? Should we believe the hype? Are your customers seeing value from the the integration and utilization of streaming and IoT data? Yeah, I think you know the, the hype is there. I think where where we we need to continue to work is is to continue to work on those use cases that streaming data or, or building data for data's sake. But as I look at the industries that we work with, um, you know, especially in healthcare and life sciences, uh, streaming and IoT is really starting to build a head of steam behind it um, because we're starting to see more real-time actions needing to be taken, whether that's in response to COVID on the healthcare side of the house, or if it's in response to, to production optimization on the life sciences side of the house and our pharma clients. Um, but we're definitely seeing a rise in IoT and it's, it's starting to drive new decisions, even internally at NetApp. We use a lot of our own capabilities to drive edge core and cloud in order to better provide our customer set real-time insight into what their systems are doing and, and get ahead of any issues that we might see uh, with those deployed systems. Okay, that 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 that's really helpful, and I, and I like the emphasis on use cases, and and I, I like the uh, the clarity on on you know a a good criterion. If I sort of follow your your line of happen in in real time, and yeah. that that's where we're going to get you know sort of more more bang for the buck. Yeah, but you know it, we we need to look for that value, that real time value. But we have to bring kind of the whole ecosystem together because if we're generating data in real time, but we have no way to consume it in real time and really act on it in real time, that becomes an issue, right? At that point, we're just collecting data for data's sake. Um, you know, so one of the partners that we're working with now, they have a, a sneaker net problem that we're, we're instrumenting with real-time IoT in order to accelerate them. But the reason we can accelerate them is that they're hungry for that data. They've got the consumption mechanism already built up. And so the data will go right into that, that consumption algorithm uh, so that they aren't sitting around waiting for data anymore. Five years ago, it probably wouldn't have been ready for them to do that. And sneaker netting into a batch so that they could do batch analytics was probably you know, perfectly acceptable for their use case. Yeah, no, and that's a, that's a really helpful distinction. And I agree. I mean, it's, you know, you've it basically, you know, to simplify, you got to have the handshake. So exactly. you can produce an infinite amount of data in real time, but if you have no way of looking at it or bringing it to the point of consumption, visualization, and so on, there's, there's not much point. I want to go back to your point about the whole ecosystem because one of the you know one of my observations in in working in a lot of large enterprises is that uh, I think we've had a story in the industry in particular over the last five to ten years that sort of you know cloud makes everything simpler and you know here are different technologies and everything's really interoperable. In, in real life, what I've found is that data integration and data interoperability 
continues to be a huge challenge for, for most enterprises. So maybe with respect to some of the examples you could talk about, you know, what what's significant from uh, like an, an IT ops standpoint? So for example, I've got real-time streaming data and it's about an asset. But on the back end of that, I've still got to have, you know, an asset master. I've still got to have mm -hmm. master data management that's properly curated. You know, I might have a lot of neat data, but I don't even know what I'm looking at. And I have no way to tie it back to that sort of broader functional framework and, and IT operational framework. What am, am I on the right track that that's still a problem? And what's your, your thinking about that? Yeah, so interop and integration will always be a problem in, in, in any industry because Nobody has come to to the panacea of one, you know, form of data to rule them all, if you will. Um, but what you're getting to is is really what's necessary across any data ecosystem, uh, and that is a good set of governance, right? And understanding how that data is going to be mastered and used, uh, curated and stewarded through the system, will help bring along all of the things that you discuss about problems with interoperability and integration and matching to a you know, a device master, all of those bits and pieces need to be formed under an enterprise governance program that then brings together all of your static data, your historical data, and your streaming form that can be, that can be utilized to solve the, the questions of the day. Yeah, that, that, I, I, I'm 100% on the same page. And I think, you know, the, the G word governance always continues to be a challenge. Um, you know, I, I've found you know, extensively, again, in enterprises, it, there continues to be a lot of uh, education that's required, particularly at a, at a senior executive level on, you know, governance doesn't mean something slow and expensive. It actually means something fast. You know, it's kind of sticking with this theme of the, uh, uh, you know, so, so maybe to, to, to paraphrase what you said, and, and I agree with this, is that the streaming in real-time data actually underscores the need for governance. Absolutely. So is, this an, is this like a, even a worse challenge as it relates to that executive education and kind of the process and organizational readiness of data operations and data governance teams to be able to cope with? I think it does, you know, because everything is becoming more and more instrumented. In healthcare, we look at you know, consumer wearables, we look at IOMT devices, the more we start dealing or continue to deal with um, healthcare at home and, and remote sensing on patients, the larger a problem this becomes. And so what it speaks to is, is not just the need for governance, but the need for, as you said earlier, more of an agile governance model where we can adapt rapidly to those new tools coming in, whether it's uh, a new, um, you know, glucose monitor even for our traveling nurses, all of those bits and pieces should be able to fall into that dynamic governance model that takes, you know, systems thinking with agile development and agile integration and marries the two together in a way that um, solutions can be rapidly integrated and, and transform the way that we're providing care or that we're providing capability to our customers. So I'm going to I'm going to put you on the spot, uh, Ray. I love this idea of agile governance, but I think you know a lot of people would say that sounds like a paradox, right? So yeah. so and I think you just I think you just gave some granular characteristics. But if you were to describe in your mind, you know, what would be three or four major characteristics of agile data governance? What would they What would they look like? Yeah. So. So it's, it's all about taking it from a use case perspective. 
instead of saying, hey, we need to master all of the data across the enterprise, which obviously is the end goal. It's about taking incremental steps and looking at use cases or looking at use areas of the data and doing the governance process on them. And now while we're talking about agile, we're not talking about two to four week sprints, right? But we're talking about something that behaves more agile, that we're looking at very accomplishable steps, very repeatable steps to generate mastered data that falls in, in the governance of the organization. So the way we've implemented it in the past is that we start with use cases, we generate what we think the governance should be around that information, how it should be curated, how it should be stewarded. And then we take a subset of the data that we know we have in that domain. We go, we master it, we do everything that we need to. And then we circle back iteratively and understand the lessons learned from building out that curated now set of data and information that can be leveraged across the enterprise. And we take those lessons learned and put them back into this design thinking and agile process to really iterate and do this rapidly so that you're not trying to take on the millions or billions of complex environment. So I really, I, I really like this idea a lot. I want to sort of replay this with two thoughts. So, so you know, when I when I help people with data strategy work, I have a point of view that I'm not going to do strategy work for more than a few months because it, mm -hmm. it basically it's not going to end up being meaningful. I have to get into doing some you know some real life project work, and that Absolutely. that informs what we're doing. And then I think the what I, I really like about um, about this idea of agile governance is it's almost like the same quote unquote the requirements. Mm -hmm. So we're we're absolving ourselves of the the illusion or delusion that we can actually figure out a priori everything that we need to do. We figure out enough to get going. We motivate it with some real life work, and then we iterate from that. That over time, done correctly with the right kind of leadership and oversight, should lead us to some you know call them medium-sized building blocks of a data governance right. framework of this of explaining you know why governance does governance doesn't mean something slow and and you know ineffective and expensive it actually means something that is building from the ground up in a way that's going to be useful and produce dollars and business value yeah absolutely but and the reason it's come about chris is that when we look at all of the things that are going on i know we we started talking about streaming but as we start looking into the, the domain of augmented intelligence and Excel, advanced analytics, when we bring in inference on streaming data or we bring in inference on data, we don't necessarily, especially in healthcare and life sciences, have a well-governed, well-curated data set on which to build that. So the goal of, of this agile governance model is to go side by side with these high profile, high profit margin, use cases around AI and advanced analytics, both with streaming and batch data to help build up the foundation so that you can make advances and build transformation into the operations of the organization without having to do an all stop and build the entire platform and the entire foundation out in order to support your one or two you know, AI or AA use cases you can now do it simultaneously and start seeing the value of that advanced technology adoption faster than you could before. So this is really interesting. I want to uh, let me let me 
go a little further into one area of this. So I, when I first started working, and this is going, you know, six or seven years back, when I first started heavily working on what at the time was called big data, mm-hmm. there was a lot, there was a whole school of thought of the, you know, I'd call the, if you build it, they will come. So just get, you know, what you were calling before data for data's sake. What I think I just heard you say, and I, I want to play this back, is that is that doing this correctly in an agile governance mode is almost like, enlightened schema on read, right? So it's not schema on read in the sense of, oh, just dump everything and we'll figure out what we want to do with it later, but that you have sort of, you know, a a crayon drawing of the use cases you may want to do. You have some real life proof points that again, back to this requirements management, you're not assuming, you're, you're neither assuming you can do everything a priori, nor are you assuming that if you just collect an infinite amount of data that you'll find something neat consequent to it. Is that a fair interpretation? Yeah, I think it's it's perfectly fair. And, and to your point, right, it allows that incremental success to be driven by incremental progress, right? And, and eventually you'll get to the point where you can go, I want to look at the entirety of our data and see if there's any un- unknowns lurking in there. Right. But that's not where you start. You start with the value. And the value is the problems that that harass the organization day to day that you can put a finger on, but you need to build into. And you do that agilely, both in the governance perspective and in the product development perspective. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that's, that's brilliant. I, this, this is really, really interesting. And I really like your, uh, your, your thought process on this. Um, let me, let me shift gears. Cause you mentioned something else that intrigued me. So when we started, you were kind of talking about, you've got a lens for your customers for, for, mm-hmm. for NetApp. So sort of a two part question, you know, do, does net, does NetApp run on NetApp? And then maybe the other part of this is what I, you know, I said, I love talking to people who are, you know, tech, tech sector and non-tech sector. What did, what did, what do tech sector folks know that corporate IT folks should know and, and vice versa? Like if you could sort of walk a mile in the other person's shoes, you know, what would each person see if they could look in that, uh, that alternate universe mirror? First of all, NetApp runs everything on NetApp, right? Everything that we put out, we run internally. Right. So so we're a fantastic story of, you know, drinking our own Kool-Aid, eating our own, you know, eggs, wh- whatever metaphor you want to put in there. We do it and we do it right. And and that is extends from edge to core to cloud. Right. You know, we, we partner with all the hyperscalers and we leverage our capabilities in the hyperscalers. We leverage our capabilities in our data centers. We leverage our capabilities on the edge when so that we can, like I said earlier, get ahead of any issues that might be coming. But having straddled that fence that you described, you know, as I'm looking at corporate IT, I wish that they would understand that, you know, the things that the tech sector are putting out are only as good as the adoption and the the marriage of value in corporate IT, right? When we go to a customer, we're not trying to sell a box or sell a capability, right? We're trying to, to work on a problem that has high value for that organization. And I think sometimes that translation is really lost. And vice versa, if we look at what corporate IT could tell the tech sector, it's look for the places of value, understand the industry that you're pushing into, know the personas and the problems that those personas have, and then work that way. And I think that's why my role at NetApp um, exists and the team that I'm on exists because we bring that subject matter expertise of the corporate IT around healthcare and life sciences back into the tech sector 
to help us better build product and build solution and then marry that with the value generation that we can do within our customer set. So it's, it's all about, you know, communication and knowing one another and knowing the business of one another, you know, especially when it comes to what the tech sector should know about corporate IT. Yeah, no, that that's that's fascinating, and that that absolutely makes sense. And, and you know, it's it's I've had this observation a lot from a talent once that you know a lot of the time your your rock stars end up being cross functional folks. So f- folks who have worked in you know programmers who went to the business, business people who got interested in technology. But I, I think this cross pollination between the uh, you know the 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 corporate sector and then the technology sector is a is a, a really really interesting uh, lens on that. Yeah, there was a there was an article out I don't know a handful of years ago now uh, about the value of business translators, you know, and those are those people who understand enough of the tech side and understand enough of the business side that they can form that bridge, right? And it was it was very much taken under the guise of the adoption of artificial intelligence and advanced analytics, but I think that paradigm exists now for all of tech that there has to be people who understand the, you know, the implications for the business and understand the tech enough to make that bridge and join those two pieces together in a very meaningful, uh, effective manner. Yeah, no, I, I I agree. And it's interesting, I've often sort of joked that, you know, you hear you hear technology, especially corporate technology folks, if you go to you know, internal or external conferences, a theme for a long time has been, you know, f- like, show me the money, focus yeah. on the value, what's the business value? And, and I feel like maybe after many years of repeating that, we're finally getting to sort of a breakthrough where, you know, all of the leaders that I talk to are kind of very focused on this. And, you know, one would hope that it's uh, percolating down through the organization or software company side and on the, the corporate IT side. So let me, you, you mentioned the importance of, of industry business value and, and use cases. And um, let me, let me, uh, as we're sort of wrapping up here, talk about some some fundamentals. So if you you think about um, the technical lens, the human lens, the innovation lens, and what's happening with digital transformation the next couple of years, and, and how important is that sort of, um, you know, what they say when you're doing uh, college applications, right? That pointiness around industry versus, you know, sort of generalist, generalist, generalization at the technology layer or the platform level? Are, are there any sort of thoughts or predictions, you know, in some of the spaces that we've talked about that are, are top of mind for you? Yeah, I really think that, that you know, transformation and innovation are going to all focused around data and that data exploitation. But it's not going to look anything like it does today, right? There's an entire paradigm of people that has to change in those sectors in order to bring about the innovation that has already been embraced and is evolving in other vertical industries. Um, part of that is just simply the, the regulation of, of healthcare and life sciences. Um, but that can't be all of it because you look at what's going on in FinTech, which is just as highly regulated or, or DOD and aerospace is just as highly regulated but they're making these tremendous strides in, in innovation. So I think what, what's going to happen over the next couple of years is that we are going to see a mind shift as, as people move into retirement and people who are now growing up with this technology of cloud and IoT and AI, they bring that, 
that early adoption or that ease of embracement to the innovation lands. We're going to see tremendous strides being taken in the augmentation of people and in the augmentation of decision-making when there is too much data to consider. Mm -hmm. You know, we talk a lot about, you know, exploiting all of the data within healthcare, all of the data within life sciences. Well, that's great. But the next step and the next phase is then to bring in all of the other data from outside of your own little fiefdom and your own little ecosystem so that you can look at things that you could never look at before. And that transformation of technology, but in a mindset from the people's perspective, it's only exists in pockets. And so I've adoption of this kind of ubiquitous 360 degree view of patient, provider, consumer system, whatever you want to demarket, that is going to be the next drive is to form up this complete continuum of knowledge about an entity that we can then exploit in any number of ways, whether it's precision medicine, you know, leveraging genomics, or it's in population medicine and understanding risk, risk factors that then, in, uh, in, uh, excuse me, impact the work that's being done on the precision front you know, in healthcare, all of those things, bringing all of those pieces together with real-time streaming information and real-time sensing and distributed care models is really going to transform that industry. But it's got to start with the mindset changing to evolve into, you know, people who are ready to consume that and make those transformational changes. Interesting. I mean, I have a, just a, an, an observation that I'll share, and I, I, I have a life sciences background as well on the on the manufacturing side. So I've spent a you know a, a few years in the industry. One of the things, and this is kind of a uh, I'll say a U.S. centric comment, but but that's sort of the context of the discussion. So life sciences has got regulatory firewalls, as you point mm -hmm. out. Um, but but then you you look at at you know financial services, and you're like, yeah, they have they have the same thing. There, there's there's something in healthcare economics and implicit financial firewalls that that slow down the the pace of technical innovation. So without you know kind of finger pointing, I think it wouldn't be um, outrageous to suggest that that the way that healthcare economics system is established today, there actually are disincentives to data interoperability. And then that's one observation. So the second observation I agree with, which is that then if you go back to, you know, sort of the classic IEOR in health healthcare, the only thing I can staple myself to is myself. I'm the mm -hmm. unit of work. So I think that your, your population demographics motivation for maybe that's the breakthrough where, you know, we as uh, professional consumers of healthcare, which we all care passionately about, we actually have to be the catalyst as humans to break through those artificial firewalls. So, so to your latter point, I think that, that you're absolutely see what we should be driving for, especially as consumers, is to be the managers of our own data in the healthcare space. Yes. No longer should the IDNs and the hospital systems and the academic research facilities be the shepherds and stewards and curators of our data, rather we should be the, the stewards of our data ourselves. That way the, the whole paradigm shift and monetary shift that you alluded to in your former comment about the difficulty of you know, the, the fiscal models and, and the compensation models in healthcare, that then starts to change kind of dramatically as you shift the nexus of ownership in healthcare. Now we can start looking at 
better optimization and better efficiencies, which is what we should be looking at in healthcare anyway, right? We know that re, that you know the paradigm between you know Hippocratic oath and compensation by the federal government or or the payer stack are typically in in conflict with one another. But as we look at this and as we look at the way that you can apply data and apply the information that the system has, driving efficiencies should negate all of that. It should be to to the point of being able to drive efficiencies and effectiveness by introducing augmentative technologies should get us past that point, right? I, I hate that excuse. I hate the excuse of, hey, we're trying to drive OPEX up um, by leveraging our CapEx models and doing all of these other things to make sure that, you know, our, our fiscal look right. Well, doing that by pushing more people through the door is one way to do it. The other way to do it is by streamlining internal processes and by leveraging the data that we already have and the analytics that we already have. You can really start to streamline things to the tunes of millions of dollars a year just by looking at simple use cases across the ecosystem of healthcare. So by bringing together then that internal look on optimization and efficiency and trans transitioning to a consumer-owned data model, I think we'll actually see more transformation in the healthcare space than we have in the past 100 yeah. years. I, I, I think you're spot on and it's just, it's gonna be really fascinating to watch this evolve because it's sort of like, I, you know, I, I, I see, I think the same as you do, it's sort of like the, um, you know, the, the, the constellation they're, they're points of light in the constellation, right? I can't quite see the, the mythical figure yet, but it's 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 emerging slowly over time. And and I think that I think that this this idea of the, you know, the the uh, professional consumer of your own health data being the manager and, and accountable for that, and then I think that's got to be a wedge in changing something about the economic model in a way that's then a force multiplier to all of the, the you know the operational efficiency and sort of EBITDA and growth lens for anyone who's working in, in any, you know, in, in payer provider or on the manufacturing side. So I think all the pieces are coming into focus. And I, I think that, um, you know, like, uh, like so many things, data is going to be going to be critical. I mean, you know, CMS has, has come out with their ruling on interoperability and data sharing and all of those things. All of those pieces now start to your point, aligning into those constellations. We just simply haven't brought them all together yet. Yeah. Um, but but I think that's on the horizon for the next decade. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's a that's a great uh, great place for us to uh, to wrap up. Um, can can people find you online, Ray, if they'd like to to connect with you? Um, I don't know what you want to call it, not a Ludite, but I, I typically keep myself to to LinkedIn. You can reach me on LinkedIn. Um, I've got a blog running around that you can find via LinkedIn as well. Um, and that's that's the best way to hit me up. Uh, really uh, a fascinating conversation. Terrific to meet you. Again, for our, our audience, my uh, my my guest today was Ray Diot, a CDO, excuse me. Uh, he's waiting for the promotion of, uh, of NetApp. And uh, you can find additional uh, interviews in the podcast series at uh, cdomagazine.tech. Thanks again, Ray, and, and hope you have a terrific day. Thanks, Chris. You too.